This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello and welcome to the Royal Blue Podcast. My name is Ian Kroll and today we are live at 12pm, streaming live on the Royal Blue YouTube channel and the Echo's MNFC Facebook page. I'm joined by Chris Beasley, Paul Wheelock and Gab Buckland. Guys, how are we all doing, Chris? Did you have a good weekend? Obviously, Forest win uh, back up there now after that. Uh, Manchester United defeated a fantastic victory for Everton uh, at the City Ground. Yeah, um, myself and um, Joe Thomas were obviously there at um, the, the City Ground and it really was very important um, given the, the results that, that um, came before it. But yeah, it was a terrific, um, I thought, control display and I'm sure we'll talk uh, much about that in the, in the coming minutes. Fantastic stuff. And Chris, just before we get going into the agenda, um, just to let our live audience know you've got a bit of a prize giveaway. Um, yeah. You know you know more about that than me, so just just let us know what's going on for people who are able to comment in the comments section. Yes, it's, it's open to anyone who wants to um, come into the comments section and anyone who's um, capable of actually picking up this prize from the, the Echo um, office. Um, in my job, following Everton home and away, uh, Get to collect uh, lots of um, programs there, so it's a collection. I think I've counted them up. There's 36 programs from the last couple of seasons or so. So, given the programs going all the way up to Forest, there, the latest one on, on Saturday, home and away, probably worth over a hundred pounds. I've bought them all individually. So, if anyone fancies that, some Everton programs, home and away, last couple of seasons, put your name down in the in the comment section, and uh, you'll be considered for that prize as long as you can come and collect them uh, from the Echo office. Amazing stuff. Okay, so on the agenda today then, we've obviously got the, the Forest reaction, fantastic win. Um, we're going to look at individual performances, specifically Beto, Jack Harrison and James Garner's performance. We're also going to take a little look and delve into some referee and VR, VAR decisions during our game. The FA Cup draw, of course, happened over the weekend, the third round. Draw a difficult tie for Everton away to Crystal Palace. We're also going to discuss one incident from the Premier League this weekend, unrelated to the Evan game. I haven't told the lads what it is, but I just thought it'd be interesting to throw a curveball in. And there's uh, plenty more as well to get through. So uh, we've got roughly an hour. Um, please also submit your questions to the guys. I will try and get through as many as possible. We're, you know, say we've got an hour, but we've got a lot on the agenda, but we'll try and get them questions into the guys and see if they can answer them. But there is literally only one place to start, and that's with a, another special away win. Three in a row now, six in all competitions. Gav, let's start with you. Can we play away every week? <laughs> um, or more specifically, can we play away where teams not in the top six every week is probably the more pertinent question, isn't it? Just having a having a look before we came on, and I think since Dice has come, we've played twelve teams who are not in the top six away from home, and we've won five, two, six, lost one, and of those games. So we said, that, and the game we lost, by the way, was Aston Villa at the start of the season. They'd lost the opening game, hadn't they, against Newcastle? So they're not a top. They're not a team that's outside the top six normally. Uh, yeah, we, we spoke about this on Friday, didn't we? Just that yeah. we've got a, got a style of play away from home against the, the teams that are not in the elite that uh, we're comfortable with. Everybody knows the role. And uh, it's just a case of rinse and repeat, wasn't it, on, on Saturday? For the the typical opponent that we've done well against. And the game panned exactly as I foresaw it, really, because it was pretty much the same as what every most other away games have been for Everton this season. Uh, apart from you know Liverpool, yeah, and yeah, it would be nice, but that that's the that's the sixty four thousand dollar question, isn't it? Ian? Is is we need to replicate some of that at home because you can only sustain your away form so long. At some point, you're going to stop winning away, and that's when you need to stop winning, start winning at home. So yeah, it was it was a great win. So Paul, go on, Gav. Sorry, I thought you'd finished there. I was going to say it was a great win. I was just yeah. about it. It really was, and it was a much-needed win, certainly uh, maybe a little bit unexpected after the United game, but it's not really unexpected way our away form is. But, I mean, Paul, it's it's not pretty at this moment in time, but who cares? Oh, no, no, not whatsoever. It wouldn't have bothered me playing, you know. Uh, it's not ugly football, but it's, it's at times it can be. You know, it's a way, as Gav was saying there, it's a style of play that is, is you know, reaping rewards for the moment. But 
after Everton's form over the last couple of seasons, maybe going back even further and that, just to be winning away from home is, is a huge bonus. I think we've won four this season when we we haven't won as many as there were more than that in the previous two seasons combined. Uh, but given the position that the, the team and the club has been put in uh, by the uh, independent commission and the, the temporary deduction means we'll, we'll take wins from whatever way we can get them at the moment. So I thought it was a huge one, really. Uh, I given the decision to, to deduct the club, the club those points. I think we, we, we were desperate to get our first one. I don't know how you guys felt in the Manchester United game. It was a very strange atmosphere for me personally because it was the kind of realisation that we could lose, we should be able to lose this game without the pressure that came with it. You know, you know, we'd been on a good run leading up to that United game and, and, and a lot of the times we will we will lose to United. It, it wasn't a nice kind of feeling in the ground. So to get off the mark and as I think Joe said in his, his, his report that the flight back starts here, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great win just to echo what Chris and, and Gab said. Yeah, brilliant win for the, for the team. I was gonna I was gonna ask this question a bit later on in the pod, Paul, but I'll just I'll just come on to you now because you kind of touched on it. With the United game, there, there was obviously a lot of anticipation in, in what was going to go on off the field, but a lot of pressure, kind of on the day because Luton had won and Bournemouth had won totally. Well, certainly the Luton game, the Luton win was certainly unexpected. Did, did that pile pressure on Everton then after after those victories for the the two two teams down there and the relegations on with us? I certainly felt it as a fan. Like as I said, I was I was quite edgy. I'm not really too edgy when I go to Everton games, you know, because there's only so much we can do. But I was I was quite edgy, and I was edgy in the lead up to it, just because in the back of my mind, the kind of overwhelming kind of like uh, reaction to the to the points deduction from I think I said on the last podcast I was on from pundits like, yeah, we're going to be safe, you'll be fine, stay up, don't worry about it, almost like brushing it under the carpet, and I was. I was just worried what would happen, you know, if there was like a result like Luton got against Crystal Palace and then we were to lose to United. I felt it was it was really important to win that game to maybe carry on the momentum. So I wasn't as confident going into this Forest game. But all credit to uh, to Sean Dyche and the players for, for digging out this result. And to be fair to Dyche, he said it after the United game. You know, you look back and in that first half we were we were behind one 0 but we had enough chances to win the game. It's a bit of the story of the season, isn't it? So far at home. Uh, but I felt it was just huge, you know, on Saturday. For me, personally, and I know some of my friends were saying that to show that, yeah, the, the players have clearly been affected by it. They must be talking about it. It must have hit them. But, you know, certainly the performance and the win on Saturday does just throw away some of those doubts for me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Chris, why why do we seem better suited to playing away from home rather than at home? The result today for all to see, it's, it's a weird one. Maybe it's something to do with um, just sitting back and uh, not being always on, on the front foot. There's an expectation at, at Goodison. I hope that's not the case because, as, as Gav said, you know, uh, you, your away form is, isn't going to be maintained realistically over a, a season. You, you, you've got to sort of have your bread and butter from your, your home results. But that's the, that's the way it has panned out at the moment. In fact, you know, Gav, Joe and myself, we all went... For 2-1, we all sort of had a similar idea about the way it was going to go, but perhaps we should have been cannier and gone with 1-0 because I think um, it's possibly, I think, out of Deitch's 10 wins now, six have been 1-0, so maybe we should have saw that one coming. But like you said, Gav, it, it really was set up for an archetypal Deitch away, away win for Everton, I think, considering all that had gone on beforehand. Um, again, we talk about other results with, with Burnley um, thrashing Sheffield United 5-0. That meant obviously Everton went into the game rock bottom of the, the table. I mean, that must have had, had an impact on the Everton players. But it, it wasn't a smash and grab. It, it, it wasn't like they, they stole the points. I know it was a close game and, you know, it was a stalemate for a long time. But Everton, I always thought, looked comfortable, kind of kept Forrest at arm's length. And it was only once, you know, Forrest was really pushing in those last five minutes or so that John Pickford had to pull out those two big saves. I thought it, they, you know, they looked accomplished and, again, making a mockery of the the league position after these uh, 10 points being deducted, you could see that, um, you know, this was a team who, who looked like they were, um, I won't say head and shoulders above Forest, but certainly the more accomplished outfit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Gav, in a matter of speaking, you know, in, ter for Everton, in terms, we're, we're absolutely flying, aren't we? But obviously, in another frustrating reality, we're, we're kind of not because of our league standing. So, just away from that Forest game for a sec, how do you just assess Everton's, you know, current predicament? You know, really good form over the past, you know, six to eight weeks, but 
still in the relegation zone. It's it's a it's a difficult one to to comprehend, really. Yeah, I think well, no, Fap will be in the top half. They've been there about before the before Chelsea won. Would be in the top half of the table on yeah on, on Saturday night. I don't, I don't, are we in a predicament? I'm not so sure about that. I think what we know is that the players are good enough to get, a, get us out of it. Uh, but we've got a few tough home games coming up, but I think the, the, the games that we can get points from, certainly. So, yeah, I, I think I think that the good reaction, the good thing for me is since the 10-point 10 10 point deduction, um, we played reasonably okay against against Manchester United and, and we played... Plays well enough against Notts Forest, and I think fully deserved three points. So I, I don't really see us in the predicaments at the moment. I think that might not be the case if we lose a few home games between now and Christmas. We've got a tough game at Spurs, haven't we? So yeah, it. I think I'd, I'd be more more uncomfortable Ian, if we, we we weren't winning games, really. But we've been, as you say, one of the form teams in the country over the last six or seven Premier League games, aren't we? So that's what I take comfort in, and and I think if we carry on that, I think we'll we'll be okay, irrespective of, of any points deduction. To be honest with you, so I'm 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 sitting pretty comfortably. The only thing, well, contractually obliged though to say, we need to stay clear of injuries because that's the point. And you see the bench again on Saturday, and there's not a lot there, is it? I think. I think one of the reasons why we've done well, especially away from home, is we've had a settled team, haven't we? And the reason why we've had a settled team is we can only select about, with all due respect, only select about 12 or 13 players on the match day, can we, to, we know can do a job for us. Once, once injuries and suspensions hit and, and other absences, um, it may be a slightly different story. But, but for the moment, I think we're taking over nicely. And we've got a couple of old games that I think we can get something from. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we'll come on to individual performances, specifically Beto, who came into or came in for and injured Dominic Carver Lewin. Uh, so that's next on the agenda. But Paul, um, Jordan Pickford was interviewed after the game and believes Everton have turned the corner now just just because of that one nil win. But you know, like I say, we've we've already stated on this podcast that Everton's form has been relatively really good. And do you not think we turned a corner a few weeks back on the dice, or is this the moment where after the 10-point deduction, Everton have finally thought, right, we've turned the corner here, we know what we're doing and we can get back back up the table. Uh, yeah, I think we, we turned the corner probably from you know, those first three or four games of the season, the terrible loss at Villa and then the, you know, the, the, the hiccups at home and that's fallen walls. And, and, and maybe Arsenal, I think we started to turn the corner from Brentford on, didn't we, when we won 3-1 away. I think, as Gav rightly said there, the form... Over the last six, we won three, drawn one, lost two. Probably over the last ten, it's even better than that. So, I, I, as I think, it's not not a surprise that we would go to Forest. It was like what I came back to earlier. I think it will just be if Pickford was talking about it, it's just the first points on the board again, isn't it? It's almost like I think Sean Dyke said it. He said like we almost have to go again now. You know, even though before those points deduction, we were looking at probably trying to finish, you know, top of the the, the lower half or even mid table. I think. It, it, but he's, if he's talking about more away form, yeah, he's 100% right now. I, I can't remember being more confident going to those kind of teams. You know, I think Gav said it earlier about the, the games he's lost away from home. I think if you look at where they've come to, I'm pretty sure it's only at the big venues, isn't it? Villa Park, Anfield, Old Trafford, probably off the top of my head, a few others. It feels like we can go to most teams now and with that game plan and with that style of football and, and pick up results and... We're just looking at the fixtures then. You look at our away games, we've obviously got that difficult one at Tottenham just before Christmas, but the ones around that are Burnley away, which is, is obviously going to be a massive game given that they look like they're picking up a little bit now. And then before New Year, there's Wolves and then obviously that Palace tie in the FA Cup. So even though it, 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 we do need to sort our home, our home form out, no, no question about that, but it, it does give you that confidence now that we can go away from home and, and pick up points. But uh yeah, it was a good interview with with Pickford. Uh, Chris did it, didn't you, uh, Chris? Yeah. And you know, it was it was nice to hear him speaking confidently in of all the players. Really, been really impressed by the like the kind of you know what they've, they've said in the wake of the points deduction. It's, it's obviously comes from the top with Sean Dyche, but uh, yeah, the, the, and the backing up the words of actions. More importantly, you know, it's it's not sound bites. We played well against Manchester United. Should have probably been level before they got the second goal, and then yeah, great win on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. Chris, to individual performances then, um, main striker Dominic Carvalho wasn't fit 
yeah. but thankfully we've got you know uh, a striker that seems capable enough to to lead the line, although seemingly a little bit rusty against Forrest. But he still, you know, again he he wasn't the best, but he still gave Forrest a few problems. How did you assess his performance? Yeah, this it has been um, tough for better. I mean, he came in, didn't he? Um, biggest uh, cash signing of the summer, almost twenty six million. I think the good thing is. Is he, he's a like-for-like like replacement for Dominic Calvert-Lewin, which Neil Mopé was anything but. Uh, Mopé, of course, of course uh, doing the Blues a, a favour at, at the weekend with, um, with this goal. Um, but, uh, yeah, and I think he's burnt his bridges there, although he's still officially an Everton player. I mean, Brentford have an option to buy. Yeah, Beto, yeah, came in, didn't he? Hit the ground running with his goal at um, Doncaster Rovers on his debut just 24 hours after signing. But, obviously, he's found... Things much tougher in the Premier League against top flight opposition. Again, we saw um, he's, he's he's such a good runner. You know, we had that. I think there was that one when I think Decorio hit a pass and he closed it down. Won a throw in off, off um, Aurier, the, the right back. Uh, there's plenty about him to cause um, opposition defences problems. But I think he just needs to get that first Premier League goal. Um, hopefully, once he gets that, it'll come sooner rather than later. That'll be like a a big weight off his shoulders. He had that great chance, of course. He really, uh, he probably should have scored. Um, the keeper, Forest keeper, dropped it under a chance from McNeil and it fell nicely to him on the edge of the area and he just had a bit more composure. That that should have been 1-0. But it was interesting because when I was watching the warm-ups before the game, all the other sort of attacking and midfield players for Everton, they were all taking it in turns to do shooting drills on like a temporary goalpost from the corner of the pitch. Was Beto was he was all on his own in the middle on the main goal and he was like having lots of shots in there so they're obviously trying to get him get his eye in as it were and like you say get rid of that rustiness for someone who's who's not started because we've got to remember fortunately Dominic Calvert Lewin's been able to start the previous nine games in a row so that's his probably his, his longest run for a, for a third old time but yeah there's certainly something about Beto and so and so you would uh, hope so given you know the the size of his transfer fee at a time when Everton haven't got a lot to spend. And he's somebody who's hit back to, um, double figures in back-to-back seasons in Italy. So he's obviously got something about him. I think he just needs to get off the mark once he gets that first Premier League goal. And there's plenty of opportunities for that, I guess, with the, the busy um, festive schedule co- coming up. Um, hopefully, he'll it, it, um, take off after there. But yeah, then still very much a, a work in progress. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Gavi, he, he very much looks like to me he's just trying too hard. I mean, Chris has just touched on there. He's been very successful in the Italian league and he's obviously come over to the Premier League. Different style, different pace, different everything really. And he, he's come in at a time when Carvert-Lewin is, is back in the team and he's clearly the better and number one striker. So you can tell when he something doesn't go right for him that the, the frustration is there is he just kind of got to slow down a little bit and not get as frustrated when things don't go his way yeah I think I think that's that's a fair comment and he, he, he strikes me he wears his heart on the sleeve doesn't he a little bit and I think that while that's appealing to supporters on the pitch that can that can work against you can't you, you become frustrated you become over anxious and you you end up not doing yourself justice and you you, you, you probably you know, run round a little bit like a headless chicken on occasions, and I think I think you can say that about him. But sometimes you've just got to pick and choose when to when to go. And I thought on Saturday he was okay. I I, I caveat that by saying as well, it, it must be difficult, especially the way we play. If you've not played for a while, coming into the team straight away, he's not had a lot of minutes, has he? Um, really, over the last month or so since Calvert Lewin's come back. And and I think it, it's on a on a freezing cold Saturday evening is maybe not the best place to 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 try and get yourself back into the swing of things. And I think I think that shows. I think I think it was okay. Not brilliant. I can see what he was trying to do with the chance, really, you know, the he's trying to side foot into the top left hand corner, but maybe some something like that, you're just crying out just 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 shoot it at the target and hope for the best. But yeah, he was he was he was all right. Um, he he worked hard. He, yeah, what you what you say? He occupied the opposition defence, which is which is short yeah. probably means he probably could have done a little bit better with when he had the ball. 
but he was he, he was he was okay. Um, and, and we won, didn't we? So you, you can't you can't complain. But I think he needs to improve with the ball a little bit. And I think his first touch certainly should be should be looked at. He needs to needs to get that right. Yeah, absolutely no complaints. But Paul, it's kind of a double edged sword, isn't it? It's like he clearly needs games. He clearly needs minutes. But is he going to push Dominic Carver Lewin off the team? And Dice does really seem not to be one to play both of them together because we've obviously got a system, we've got a style that is clearly working. So how does he get in that team? I suppose is it a case of Cavalier getting injured again? Yeah, I think you're right, mate. Uh, I think we've seen in that second half against Luton that if we're going to play two up front, it, it needs a lot of work. And obviously taking Decore out of that position between midfield and attack, you know, he's huge for us, isn't he? I think he's... He's probably been arguably the most influential player for Everton since Sean Dyche came in. So it's very difficult to envisage that Sean Dyche will change the system if the core is fit and they're, you know, available for certainly the league game. So he got a bit of a rest against Burnley in the League Cup, didn't they? So yeah, it's a difficult one for, for, for Beto. Like I, I quite like him. Maybe it's the old saying like God loves to try it. And he, he certainly tried. There's there's no question about that. Uh, I think it's fair to say he looked pretty raw. Uh, and the chance he had on Saturday proved that, you know, you could see, as Gav said, what he was trying to do with the side force, but he needs to be tucking those away. But understandably, you can, you can tell he's uh, you can tell he's a bit anxious in front of goal. And you could see uh, after the Burnley game, you know, when he set the goal up for, for Ashley Young, you know, how relieved he looked that he uh, that he actually made a contribution to it, to a goal. And it also spoke a lot to me about how the, the players celebrated with him after setting up that, setting up that goal. So, uh, it, it's difficult. It's just ideally he's going to be on the bench for <laughs> for a good while because I think Dominic Calvert Lewin's clearly a step up, uh, and there's just no getting away from that. But as Chris rightly said, he's probably it's hard to get another Dominic Calvert Lewin on the bench. So when he's not fit or when he needs a rest, I think Beto is a, a good replacement. He clearly needs to score though. Uh, but you know I've, I've got no complaints. Certainly not when we've won, and I think he did. You know we, we laugh a bit that he did occupy the centre backs, but he does. He, he, there's no question about his efforts. There's no question about the, his physicality and his pace. It's just that kind of that, that clinical touch that he's not shown yet, apart from that goal against uh, against Doncaster. But no complaints. I imagine he'll get more game time between now and Christmas because even though it sounds good over Dominic Calvert Lewin in terms of the games coming up this weekend, no doubt he will need rest in between now and the and the new year. So he'll get plenty of other chances and hopefully he'll get that goal. Yeah, let's hope so. Chris, Jack Harrison then, from my point of view, didn't have the greatest game, a little bit sloppy in possession, a little bit lightweight, poor final ball. Maybe I'm being a little bit harsh, but he did put the cross in. Yeah. That resulted in the goal. So we can be thankful for that. But just your assessment on his performance and maybe overall performance or to a start of his yeah. event career as well. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd go along with you, Derry, and um, a very good assessment because, yeah, he, he did labour for a, lot, a long time. You can see he gives the side a certain degree of balance, I think, with, with obviously McNeil on the, on the other side. Um, I think part of his problem has been that we've got Ashley Young behind him again, and obviously um, there were question marks. A lot of people thought Ashley Young might have been dropped for this one after he, he struggled against Manchester United. But um, he certainly, you know... It's, if Nathan Patterson was up there, you'd imagine Patterson be overlapping a lot more and sort of helping Harrison out there. Whereas, you know, as much as uh, we know what Ashley Young can bring to the side, he is 38 years of age and he's, you know, the, one of the certainly the, the oldest outfield player at Everton now and one of the oldest they've ever had. Um, so, yeah, I don't think that particularly helps Harrison. But, yeah, ultimately he's got the assist again. He's put the cross in, like, like you say. It was, a, it was a difficult evening for him for, for long periods. He wasn't getting much joy. Um, not always been able to sort of, you know, because we know he can cross a ball with, with great quality if, if he gets the opportunity. I think it was one of the first half he sort of shanked into the stands and totally mishit it, so that was disappointing. But yeah, um, come off the hour, you know, he's he's the one. It was a lovely interchange of of, of passes. There was it him and Adrisa Gay. Um, obviously after that, I mean, Jordan Pickford joked with me. I said to him, you know, you started the move for the goal. And he said, well, Tarky's head's a big enough target. Um, it, it was actually Bramthwaite, wasn't it, who, who got to it, who's got that. And then, yeah, the inter interchange passes with Harrison Gay. And, uh, yeah, the great cross to his, his, his fellow winger. So I suppose, ultimately, as a winger, he's going to say, well, I've got my assist uh, job done. Uh, you know, that, that that's a tick for the box. So, but, yeah, um, 
it, it, it was a difficult happening for him for, for, for long periods, but I mean, ultimately, he, he delivered that. So, as he indicated, but I still would like to see a lot more of him because we know what he's capable of. And that incredible goal that he scored against Bournemouth, I don't think there's many other players in the Everton squad who would be capable of scoring that goal. So, you know, he's got it in his locker. We'd just like to see a little bit more of that. Yeah, I mean, plenty more of those goals wouldn't go amiss, to be yeah. honest. I mean, Gav, it seems to me that Dice likes his, his hard work and attributes maybe over, you know, what little, you know, football and quality he's got. Again, that, that might sound harsh, but he's, he's getting in the team regularly now because he does seem to work hard and track back. And, you know, that right-hand side does seem to be a little bit weak for Everton, especially with Ashley Young down in right-back. But is, is there any assessment that you would give on him? Um, on Jack Harrison? I think we've given it, Ian. I think he works hard and he's let's say consistency. You know, he's he's not gonna he's not gonna shy away from stuff, isn't he? You know, you're gonna get get a shift out of him every game. I think he's a bit hamstrung that Ashley Young as a as a full back. He's not gonna, you know, he's not gonna give you help, he's not gonna bomb outside you, is he you know, he's uh, and take up defenders' attention. So, you know, a number of times, especially at home where, where Harris has got the ball, he's down by two or three players, isn't, you know, that's not going to help him. I think also as well, you know, I think he has to probably because of Young, has struggled a little bit. He's had to, he had to play a lot more deeper on occasions. And, and so he's had he's had an awkward start, hasn't he? But at the same time, he's worked hard. And, and what you want is, you know, all you want is, is just a little bit something to affect the game, don't you? And, and you saw that on Saturday. And, and he, he worked hard on Saturday like he's done in most games. But how many times have we, in the last couple of years, have we scored a goal like that where we've actually opened up the opposition defence, got round the back? Not many times, you know, give and go with it, it's gone guy. And he'd be not seen that enough by, by any Everton team over the last two or three years, certainly since we've come out of covid and that was great to see him and all credit to him. And he, he stood the cross up well and, and we scored the goal. And, and that's what he wants. As, as long as, it, you know, he can work hard. You know, quite happy to see people work hard. But you also want to see him to do something creative in that role. And, and he saw that on Saturday. It might only happen once or twice a game, especially the way we set up. But he, he, he did that on Saturday. And that, that was the difference, really, between drawing and, you know, winning the game. So I'm, I'm OK with, with Harrison. But he could do with some. He could do with somebody who's a little bit more mobile, a little bit more agile than Young playing behind him. Uh, to be fair, but yeah, I'm okay with him so far, and you, you, that's why he's basically bought him to work hard, hasn't he? Primarily, and offer a little bit of quality in the final third. If only we had someone in the squad who could play like that at right back. <laughs> well, well, this is about yeah. we talk about Nathan Patterson all day long. Yeah. Probably that's a separate yeah. part, but but. He is a little bit hamstrung, isn't he? Harrison, I think, with with young, um, with young uh, behind him. And in, 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 in the, on the opposite flank, you can see where Michalenko's getting a little bit more confident going forward. That that affects McNeil, doesn't it? You know, I think McNeil looks a bit, bit better play for it. But yeah, it was a. They don't mind as long as it produces bits like that. Ian, on every game, I'll be more than content. Well, Chris, I'm gonna. Um, read out a comment here from yeah. the Royal Blue YouTube channel, which kind of maybe validates your your little comment there. So Two Wheel Lucas has said or asked, can you comment as to why direct questions don't seem to be asked in the press conference with Sean Dice, such as, quote, why are you overlooking both Patterson and now Coleman in favour of, of Young? You, you go to the press conferences quite regularly. Yeah. So is that the case or is that wider the mark? Yeah, um, well, as I think Joe Thomas has explained um, earlier this season, it, it, there's a difference between what, what we see on the live feed with Sean Dyche and that's not the actual newspaper section. So to be fair to my newspaper colleagues, um, what you see on the TV is Sky Sports questions and a few more outlets like the Press Association, maybe Radio Merseyside. When he actually speaks to uh, ourselves at the Echo and uh, the, the the other na- and the national newspapers, that that's a separate section uh, called the the embargoed section, and that's not actually recorded. So he might not be seeing that on what we call the, the top table that everyone else sees. But um, I'm sure he's been uh, he's, he's asked. I know I've been at press conference where where he's been asked about that. What he seems to be the mantra is that he keeps saying Nathan Patterson's doing well, but. 
I think as as Gav pointed out in the in the previous podcast, you know, club paid quite a lot of money for him and came with a, quite the reputation at Rangers, even though he, he couldn't get a, a game there because it was at Tavernier there. The club captain was established, but they still really rated him and Everton sort of saw him as the, the long-term successor to Seamus Coleman. There's been a few sort of um, ones who haven't um, taken up that mantle ultimately, but they, that was the feeling, but... Deitch um, always points out that, you know, Young is the, the, the experienced pro out of the two. So, I don't know, maybe in another decade or so, Nathan Patterson might have the, enough experience to be uh, to, to warrant a, a start. I mean, it, it is a bit of a strange one, really. But for whatever reason, uh, manager doesn't seem to overly fancy him. And, and you've also got to throw into the mix the fact that club captain Seamus Coleman's now um, back fit again. So, Potentially, he could come in at the side at some point, and that does that mean Patterson moves even further down there, the pecking order? I mean, only Sean Dyche can truly answer that one. But to be fair, I think um, he, he has he has um, been asked about that, and he just points to um, that Patterson's um, doing well enough to sort of wait for his chance. Thanks for the question there from Two Wheel Lucas on the Royal Blue YouTube channel. I mean, Chris, just to stay with that before I come on to James Garner with with Paul, the it's an interesting one. Is it the young? dynamic because Patterson seems to be Dice's go-to sub virtually every single game and to me it's almost like a a wasted sub to an extent so Young's usually picks up a booking and it's mm-hmm. to the point where he thinks we've got to we've got to take take Young off for as a replacement to bring someone on who's not going to not going to be sent off I mean the amount of times that's potentially happened this season you, you know it's, it's been quite a lot so is that is that something? Is it a wasted sub, or I don't know. I suppose with Deitch, it's not like he goes crazy with the subs, so maybe you can you can afford that. He doesn't sense a waste of what he sends to do, doesn't he? He uses all his subs when it, it doesn't matter. Say like it was Manchester United, then the game had sort of gone away from them. He was chucking them all on them, whereas if it was tight, like it was a Forest, he only brought Chimiti on there towards the end for for, for Beto. Um, yeah, I mean personally. I, I, I can see what Ashley Young brings, and I know he's a trusted lieutenant for Sean Dyche. I mean, he's old enough; so he's even played in the same team as Sean Dyche back when he was a teenager at Watford. So he's someone he's known a long time. We trust him as a player and as an individual. And we we know that Patterson still isn't the the, the finished article, but like we said, in the way that they, the pair of them dovetail or don't with with Jack Harrison, I think like a lot of people out there watching Everton, um, uh, it's a bit of a head scratcher why Patterson. Isn't getting um, more minutes. I know that he still remains a bit suspect uh, when it comes to defending, but I mean, so so's Ashley Young at times. I mean, that's been the problem at the end of the day. He's a converted winger who sort of moved back the field the further he's gone down in, in his career, whereas at least Patson is a, a, a natural um, right back, and that's the way he's been schooled from quite a young age. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm probably as perplexed as anyone. I'm not throwing Young under the bus here, but you know, there's been quite a lot of instances there. There's even one on sat there. I think he gave a free kick away early on. We brought a, a Langer down, and although he sort of weathered the storm somewhat, I think there was another incident in the, in the second half when um, he got exposed one on one from a, with a Langer, and the heart was in the mouth for a, for a minute. So, yeah, um, it's a strange one, and uh, I'm, I'm just a sort of sort of bemused by it. As a lot of people, really. Okay, moving on to our third player then of a player in focus, Paul James Garner. Player of the match, I think. Another fantastic midfield performance. I'm probably becoming Everton's, fast becoming Everton's midfield leader. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think uh, he was one of the players you gave 8 out of 10, Chris, wasn't it? On your, yeah. your player ratings of the sixth of them. Uh, I, I thought he was one of the best performances I've seen from James Garner in an Everton shirt. I, I think there's bigger fans of James Garner than me. I really like him, uh, but I think... Uh, I was waiting for a performance like that on Saturday, whether he was inspired by, you know, going back to his former club, Nottingham Forest, but I thought he really controlled the game, uh, you know. But he, and we can't forget how young he actually is. He's still 21, 22, uh, yeah. I believe, you know. So only just come out of the England on the 21 setup, hasn't he? So to be doing it in the Premier League at that kind of level is really, it bodes really well and really promising for, you know, for his Everton career. Yeah. I read an interview with him on the, the club website last night. And he said it was it was his best performance of his of his Everton career. He said that himself. It was quite interesting to to read that. I think there was only Pickford, Tarkovsky, and Decore who's played more minutes for Everton this season. He's become such a reliable and go to player for Sean Dyche. Uh, 
I know for a long time you were wondering where his best position would be, but I think it's a case now that it's probably James Garner and, and another between uh, Adrissa Gay and, and Amadou Anana when he's back fit. So that's, uh, you know, that's that's credit to him for the way he's playing. Uh, it, it, you know, who knows whether we're going to have money to spend in January. Uh, you'd hope we'd certainly have money to spend next summer, but he's, he's probably the kind of ideal kind of signing that we've got to go for now, isn't it? You know, he's... Uh, He's young, he's talented, and I hate to say this, but he's probably got a lot of, lot of resale value as well if he was to, to probably truly realise his potential. But, yeah, I thought he was outstanding on, on, on Saturday. Uh, best performance for me in Evans yet. Yeah, absolutely. And, Cavs, that, that was kind of my next question that Paul just, just touched on there. What is Everton's best midfield duo or trio, whatever way you want to look at it? Enana and uh, Garner. Uh, James Garner, that is, I think. Um Though Garner Gay's had it, what, two or three really good games, hasn't he? Um, yeah. To be fair. But I think Anana gives us something that the other two haven't got, which is, I think, a more physical presence, a uh, bit, bit of pace, bit of dynamism um, that Garner and Garner Gay don't possess. And when those two play together, they're quite, they're quite similar in some respects. So it, it's an honour and and, and gone for me, but the, the, I'm comforted by the fact that Garner guy in the, well, his last year's contract, he could have taken it easy. Um, he's 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 done well over the last few games. Maybe he's looking to for another another year, possibly. But yeah, I think it's 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 an honour and Garner. I think I know in in the Man United game, you you missed an honour's physical presence. I think. And the ability to get the ball up the pitch from from you know from the from from the middle, which I don't think the other two have got it got got in them in terms of running in the opposition. So yeah, it, it's those two. I mean, I, I think that's one of the reasons why I think we struggled a little bit at home. Is like James Garner particularly, you can just sit in Carney away from home, and you don't have to you, you know you don't have to control the game. You don't you, you can just you can just react. I think at home when you've got to be more a little bit more proactive and you know, show that little bit of extra and, and, and take control of the game. I think that's something that he, he's learning. I don't I think that's something that he needs to do. He needs to you know, dominate the game a little bit more at home. And that's what I'd be looking for for him to do over the next couple of games in terms of, you know, to to make a bit more of an impact at Goodson than perhaps he has done. Previously, I, I, I'm just thinking at the top of my head there. This you go away from home. He's, he's been, he's, he's another one who's been far better for us away from Goodison than what he's been at Goodison, possibly. Yeah, like like you say, gathered probably for for those reasons. I remember um, I was actually speaking. I thought uh, James Garner actually improved a lot. Second half he was good. First half I thought he was a lot better even second half. But um, Ian Snowden was saying to me, and you know, let's remember Ian Snowden's part of Everton's last title winning team and a playing central midfield himself at that point of his career, he was waxing lyrical about James Garner's performance. He thought he was doing really, really well. So I suppose someone like Snod's uh, giving you the thumbs up. I mean, that's that's all you need to know. And it's, it's all well and good. You know, all saying he, he's done well, but, you know, when you got, you know, a title winning Everton central midfielder giving you those um, um, plaudits when you really didn't know you are doing well. Ironically, I thought... His best performance this season came at home to Bournemouth when we won, and then it, I think in my head it was it was the derby the following week, and it was like Dice best not change this team and and Garner best be in that derby derby team, and obviously Liverpool's a different kettle of fish, but he, he didn't have the the greatest impact in that derby game, but we all know what happened in that. But Paul, yeah. I mean, is he is it don't want to put too much pressure on him already, but is he a future Everton captain candidate? Oof, uh... Maybe like to see a bit more leadership from him, you know, and really get the a grip of the game in the neck. But he certainly he could be the if not captain, he certainly could be the future of, of Everton's midfield because, as Gav said, there just a guy. He may I think he's playing well enough to get another contract. We've given the amount of plays we've got out of contract next next summer, and given the kind of situation we're in off the field, it might be worth giving him another year. But you wonder. Whether Amadou Anana, the noises he's made in the past while away on international duty suggests that he could be, you know, he could be a player who moves on in the not too uh, too distant future. Yeah, what? Why not? That's a that's an ambitious for he should be to be aiming for. Really, you know, uh, I, I like the way he speaks. I think you know, I, I think he shows a lot of maturity. 
And I think he shows maturity on the pitch. Be, uh, you know, eventually, I suppose we're going to have to look look for a new captain, aren't we? Because Chambers can't go on forever. James Haskowski's still, I imagine, got a few years left, but he is the wrong side of 30 now. So, yeah, why not aim for something like that? But, yeah, really pleased with his development. Uh, you know, it was... We only seen little bits of him, didn't we, before he picked up that injury towards the end of uh, Frank Lampard's tenure. Uh, but yeah, as I said earlier, he's just become such a key player for Sean Dykes now. And he's, yeah, so maybe that is the next stage, stage, dominate games even more, show that kind of leadership and, and, and kind of become a captain for Everton. Absolutely. And before we move on, Chris, a question from the on the Royal Blue YouTube channel, Satoshi Corner. This is just referring to Young and Patterson. It's more of a, yeah. a statement than a question, so probably whether you'd agree or disagree. <laughs> Young is okay away from home, but at home, Patterson needs to start as our home form is bad, and we need to give Harrison more attack and help. That's probably a fair shout, isn't it? Because um, Patterson uh, gives you so much energy get going up and down um, the wing, so maybe that could be the key um, for home and away, uh, mix them up. I mean, that seems to be the thing, doesn't it? Rightly or wrongly, with Sean Dyche, um, he like we've discussed already, he keeps that settled team, but maybe that would be something to sort of mix things up. They're getting the results away from home, maybe keep Young in and, yeah, stick Patterson in for the home games. I mean, don't know about as black and white as that or as, you know, there's just a, one in from one game and one in for the other, whether he'd do that. But, um, yeah, it's certainly a, a fair observation. It might be something they need to do if they improve that home form. Okay. Just a reminder to the people listening live or watching live, sorry, on the Echoes Everton FC Facebook page and the Echoes Royal Blue YouTube channel. Get your comments in. I will get through as many as possible. We have got a question from Jimmy Lloyd. So Jimmy's had that submitted in the past couple of minutes. I will come to that, but Gav, I'll come on to you. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. For this next topic, just not really any major incidents in our game with refs and VAR kind of went off without any major incident, but there was a couple of talking points, so we, we will come on to it. Referee decision, there was a, a handball just before Beto kind of blew the ball over the bar. Um, was in your, in your opinion, was, was that a penalty or, or no penalty? There was th- three players jumping for the same ball there, wasn't it? I think I think it was a little bit, would have been a little bit harsh. I mean, but it's easy to say that when you've won, isn't it? These things in that respect, they got beat one nil. I mean, but there's a completely different, different uh, view. But I, 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 I remember thinking at the time, I didn't really think that was that was a penalty. To be honest with you, um, others may have a different viewpoint, but I, I, I'm not sure. There was, it was, there was, there was, there was arms and legs and. Heads flailing all around all over the place there, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Paul, Steve Cooper, Nottingham Forest manager, had a bit of a moan after the game. Obviously, his team lost, so he's not going to be happy because he's going to have a moan. But he was talking about the incident where VR very quickly looked at and waved away the incident involving by the core and Ryan Yates. You know, I'll be honest with you, my heart was in my mouth a, a, a little bit. He was holding on, wasn't he, to Corey? Penalty or no penalty does... Steve, did Steve Cooper have a, you know, an argument? I like Steve Cooper, done a great job, uh, and he probably does have an argument, particularly given the penalty that did he not get the week before? It was given like it was given against him the week before. Uh, but he likes a moan. Like I know yeah. what I used to Steve Cooper likes a moan. Uh, so maybe maybe he was moaning so much that the ref just got sick of him and didn't want to give anything. Uh, yeah, I know he probably wasn't asked about the Felipe. How he escaped a second yellow card, yet another player against Everton who's escaped a second yellow card, or Ganacho the week before escaping a book in, you know, in the first half, just begging, begging belief. But take my, you know, take my bias glasses off. I think that's a good shout for a penalty. I know when you slow down these replays, a, a, a tug on the share can look, it can look worse than it was. But the core did have a, a, a good hold of, of their lad, so I think we got away with one a little bit there. But as you say, later on in the game. No question in my mind that uh, Forest should have been reduced to ten men. So, yeah, uh, Cooper's got a point, but like maybe you know he moaned so much, maybe maybe it went away, went against him this time round. Yeah, absolutely. And Chris, we've got Paul's <laughs> conclusion on that one. Felipe, that um, that was my next question. You know, there's been a couple of incidents over the past couple of weeks where you could almost describe them as as minor incidents that have major mm-hmm. impact on the team, but it's, it's quite clearly 
he should have seen a, a second yellow there, shouldn't he? The, the Forest player Felipe to you know for a red card. Yeah, it keeps happening, doesn't it? Like we say, it might sound innocuous, right? Oh, he's, you know, he escaped the second booking, but like seven after what we saw with Ashley Young in the derby, and then Canate not to get it. Okay, this wasn't Merseyside derby, and it didn't stop Everton from winning. But yeah, did you when was it all end? Um, just want to have that consistency from referees, isn't it? Whether it goes one way or the other, so just where you know where you stand. I must admit, in terms of. Um, I think was it was it the Corey with the the handball I've seen him given uh, for that one. I was a bit ooh, I thought it wasn't a million miles away from what happened with Michael Keane in the derby uh, at Anfield. But yeah, indeed, they say it might sound innocuous, but it's just like in one way or the other. I mean, one of the main things that Forrest were moaning about with more more of the fans actually was it. Um, Sean Dyche coming out of his, uh, his, his technical area. Um, got these huge technical areas at, at Forest. I don't know. I don't think there are. So I, th- I think maybe there's a minimum size requirement that they have to be or something, but I don't know about the maximum. They, they, they've got these huge territories. And Dyche was like even sort of going beyond that. And they were all telling him to sit down and absolutely giving him dog's abuse. Well, it was actually Cooper's um, assistant who ended up getting book termed by Paul Tierney. So that was. Um, quite amusing but yeah you just want that con- consistency and like we say yeah it, it, it's another one okay you'll get glossed over because Everton won the game and you know it wasn't the Merseyside derby but it's the same idea isn't it it's happened again absolutely okay then moving on still sticking with VAR but totally unrelated incident to do with Everton and I'll, I'll go around the table but this was obviously uh, a major talking point from the, the City and Spurs game over the weekend. I don't know if you watched it. I was actually watching the game and then I was I was at a family doing it. The telly got turned off, so I was absolutely gutted, but I missed this incident, watched it back. Gav, Simon Hooper showed advantage for City. Um, Harlan seemed seemingly fouled, played the advantage. Then Grealish threw ball one-on-one, but then the referee called it back. W- what what was going on? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want me to explain? I haven't got a clue. I have. I have. Did you, watch it? I, you know, I did see it. Yeah, absolutely. I was watching it live. Um, I have heard the theory given that that he blew up for the foul originally on Haaland, not expecting Haaland to get back up, and then Haaland usually runs then took the, what he thought was the the free kick or whatever too quickly. And then you know, obviously, he, he blew up again for that that uh, that reason. That that's what I've heard. That that that, hmm. that he explained his action. I'm not sure whether that's right or not. But uh, irrespective of that, it was all a bit bizarre, wasn't it? Really, um, he just feel a bit aggrieved. Yeah, but that's to be, to be fair. City have had a few like that over the years in their favour, so I'm not really going to you know yeah. complain about that and i think spurs deserves a draw on, on the day anyway to be honest with you but it was it was all a bit odd wasn't it really the, the only explanation is the one i've just heard but I've, I've i've not heard that confirmed by anybody but yeah it was it was it was odd it, was, it wasn't really a var was it really i think was it um but it was just you, you don't see many like them do you i mean i'm trying to think if i've ever seen anything like that before where where it you know, you've you've blown up, and there's an obvious advantage having, you know, from from the from where the play is going. Yeah, it was um, it was it was a bit bit odd, bit odd. Yeah, I think it was more of an on-field decision rather than a check or a, a VAR review. Yeah, I mean, Chris, the, after after watching it back, it, quite yeah. clearly the referee doesn't blow the whistle to give the foul, and then does blow the whistle as soon as Grealish is one on one with the keeper, albeit you know. One or two Tottenham defenders chasing him. There was no guarantees he was going to score. But can you imagine if that was at Goodison Park with Dominic Carver-Lewin through on goal and a referee had stopped right with with you know the the posts in the sights? I can well imagine it. Wasn't the one was it against Manchester United when uh, David Moyes ended up running onto the pitch after the game? Wasn't it where they were they about to score or something and the ref blew for full time? That was the three yeah. all that wasn't it? Where we got we yeah. scored twice in we scored twice in injury time to make it three yeah. all and, and Jagielka similar to that Grealish had a had a run on goal but there was Manchester yeah. United players by him and it was our old friend Martin Atkinson I think wasn't it who who wow. who blew yeah. up and uh, it was not just David Moyes it was Steve Brown wasn't it who yeah. um, who yeah, ended up the end up getting a mighty a mighty fine each yeah. you think so yeah there's a little bit of a precedence yeah. 
Yeah, so going back to some, yeah, going back to City. Maybe this is how the Premier League are getting back now. It's too difficult to investigate these 115 charges over eight or nine years. Chip <laughs> away at them like this with all these little decisions. I mean, there you go. And who's the winner in all that? I don't know, Liverpool. Um, yeah, uh, if there was an example of um, play the advantage, it had to be that one, didn't it? Um, for going what Gav might have heard of that, I don't know about the early whistle. That obviously changes things, doesn't it? But yeah, if, if there wasn't the early whistle, the first one, that you know, if, if you screw a textbook example, say this is how to, this is really as an instance where you should play an advantage, you could roll out that quick, couldn't you? When the fella Grealish is at one on one with it with the keeper, so yeah, I mean, Big Ange typically said that you know, he had this great game of football that they've had shouldn't have been defined by that moment, but oh, yeah, well, ultimately, <laughs> it had to be, yeah, so yeah, check that out. If ever there's an example of when an um, advantage should have been used, and um, that that was it. But like I said, maybe maybe it's all maybe it's all a very subtle conspiracy just to start um, st- stopping from City from uh, having to. I mean, so it's much easier, isn't it? Just do a few dodgy decisions on them like that rather than investigate all those charges. Controversial opinion, then, Paul from uh, Chris Beasley. There, but I did I did see a couple of sources on that reliable social media platform, Twitter, suggesting that the referee just didn't want to keep up with play and thought I'll. Uh, I'll go the whistle to, to bring it back. Is that is that something that could have happened? Probably, probably not. Probably oh, something I, that we'll never know. At least it was just a good old fashioned cock up by a referee, wasn't it? You know, you get you get sick of all this right VAR stuff, guy like drawing the lines. This was just a, a howler from the referee. Uh, it was really before about him. He's not been stood down by the Premier League. He's taken charge of Liverpool's game on Wednesday against Sheffield United. So no. they clearly don't think he's you know, I don't know if they don't think he's done anything wrong, but they don't think it was a serious and Even though if I was a Man City fan, I'd certainly think it was a serious and He's had a bit of a tough season. He was the uh, he was the ref for the for the Liverpool Tottenham game in a, at Tottenham, uh, where the VAR completely messed up, didn't he, with that Diaz goal? And I think he was the the one who went over to the screen when Wolves should have had a penalty at, at Man United earlier in the season. So uh, Simon Hubert is having a, a, a tough spell. You'd have to ask him. <laughs> you'd have to ask him why he decided to blow up at that stage. Maybe the reason that he thought Haaland was going to go down and he wouldn't get back up, but you would be absolutely livid if uh, if if you were Haaland, and I think he's come out and, <laughs> and said as much to Haaland that he'd be livid if you were Guardi- Guardiola, he'd be livid, livid if you were City fans as well. Like, uh... But yeah, just a human error, what that one, wasn't it? But it was a, it was a big one. And looking at how tight it is at the top of the Premier League, who knows, it, 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 might, be, uh, it might be crucial. The funniest thing about it for, for me is when the, the cameras turn to Guardiola absolutely leathering the fourth official and the fourth <laughs> official's eyes just, you know, rolling and just couldn't quite believe the decision that was made. But yeah, I just thought I'd add an interesting, unrelated topic into the Everton Royal Blue podcast today just to uh, throw a curveball in there. But let's just pick back up on the final word on Forrest then before we kind of move on. Gav, um, a lot of doom and gloom following the United defeat, probably a little bit justified, but did it did that... Did the negativity really come from not probably not the performance, but was it because Luton and Bournemouth both picked up unexpected points? Certainly, Luton definitely picked up unexpected points. We touched upon it a little bit earlier, but it seemed to me that once those results came in on Saturday, my nerves can't like personally, my nerves kind of shot up there, and I thought we're playing Manchester United here, regardless of what people are saying about them. These are still a very good team, but obviously now we bounce back with the, with a Forest win. Yeah, I think you know there was a couple of results. What was the results on Saturday before we played? Burnley won, didn't they? That, but they'd be they'd sound Sheffield United, and they Luton got beat. Yeah, didn't they? At, at Brentford, um, and so so there's two teams you, you've lost to in in around yeah. So I, I'm not sure about negativity after the United game. To be honest with you, it was more frustrating that we we had three or four good chances before half time. And then didn't really press as much as what we should have done in the, in the second half. So I think that there, there was some positives to decide. So and then it was a little bit of difference on Saturday that there was, especially with Luton getting beaten, they're the team that was hit sort of chasing army. Uh, Brentford, 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 and Neil Mope, you know, did us a favour. And so it was a complete. I think it was different. It was a different going into the Forest game, and and, and uh, we said on Friday it was a big game. He wasn't bearing in mind our home fixtures you now on Christmas. It was something that we needed to get get something from. But the most pleasing thing for me was the performance. It certainly wasn't a smash and grab. 
it was it was a game where we had lots of possession for um, for, for for long periods of time, both in the first half and second half. So I was uh, well pleased. And Chris, does the result against Forest now kind of cement that Everton are in a bit of a false position? You know, certainly yeah. based on form. Yeah, I mean that was the thing that I I, I took most comfort from um, that the way they they set the stall out, the way that they did play. A lot of pressure on them there to get that first result after the the points deduction. And let's not forget, as we said, that that five nil thrashing for Burnley against Sheffield United. That you know psychologically, Everton moved to bottom of the table going into that that game. But you know they didn't. Play, we know they're not a bottom of the table team in terms of the form. I think only Tottenham Hotspur have actually won um, more points away from home this season in terms of um, their performances on the pitch and what they've actually achieved as a team. So, yeah, they 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 they, they looked comfortable. They they looked assured. Uh, everything you know that you would expect that they have been. You know they're, they're no great shakes, but they are you know a, a mid-table team based on results this season. And they went to Forest under that great pressure. They knew they needed that big result. But there didn't seem to be nerves. We've talked about Beethoven could have done with a bit more composure at time. We've got to say before I finish as well, Dwight McNeil. That, I mean, the way he struck that ball, that's what he's capable of. Um, last season's top scorer, albeit only with seven, but that was his first goal this season. And Everton really had been missing that. So uh, return of the mark, as it was. And uh, what, what a way to get back on, onto the score sheet. And hopefully, because I think he scored five in about couple of months in the back end of last season after he got the first one under Deitch against Brentford. That hopefully set him off on another purple patch perhaps um, in this busy festive season. So yeah, it's another big plus point. I mean, it was a great strike to win the game and uh, thoroughly deserved. So we're coming up to the hour mark, but we did start a little bit late, so I'm happy. As long as the lads are happy to carry on to go into injury time and before <laughs> we do move on uh, to the FA Cup draw, Paul, there's a question that I mentioned from Jimmy Lloyd. It's not really a question. Again, it's more of a statement, but whether you agree or not, it goes back to the Dom Carver lewin Beto scenario and, you know, do they both start or should one come in for another? Jimmy Lloyd has said, maybe if Tice had give, given him more minutes before the Forest game, he not only settling quicker, but Dom Carver lewin probably wouldn't have broke down. Um, do you agree with that statement? I'm kind of... Don't, to be honest, but um, thanks for the question, Jimmy. But, Paul, what, what do you think on that? Yeah, it's a difficult one. He, he's having to come in cold, isn't he? Because before Saturday, Dominic Calvin-Lewin was not just playing. He was playing for 80 minutes plus, wasn't he? And the, 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 probably the the harsh reality for, for better is that we need Dominic Calvin-Lewin on the pitch for 80 minutes plus every week. Uh, we're a better team with him in, better team with him than, than better at this moment in time. And, you know, even though we will eventually pay a big fee for, for Beto. It's a different uh, standard of football. It's a different type of football from what he's probably been experiences in, in Italy. So I, I do know I do know where Jimmy's coming from there. Yeah, it's, it's going to be hard for him, you know, coming in quite rushly, coming in from the cold, but hopefully on Saturday playing, you know, playing 80 odd minutes before coming off at Schmitty would have done him the world of good. Uh, but at the same time, I hope come Thursday, he's probably back on the bench. And that's, again, nothing against Beto. I'm not being harsh to him there, but I just want Dominic Calvert living back in the team. But yeah, I do I do know where Jimmy's coming from there. So is Jimmy going to the dogs of order? Did you see his picture? Um, Let's get it back up. Wasn't sure, was it? That wasn't the dog who got carried through the streets outside Gunso last season, was it? <laughs> yeah, fantastic. I mean, just staying with that, Paul, with Carvalhoon having the run of games that that he's had, he's probably been. This is the best he's ever been managed under a, under an Everton manager. You know the consistency. I know he he has been injured. You know what I expect, and hopefully him to come back. But quite clearly, he's he's being managed properly now. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, mate. Uh, I've you know he's had different stages of his Everton career. Calvert Lewin wasn't he? he was in in his early days. He probably wasn't too dissimilar from where Beto is now. You know, a lot of work rate. A lot of you know work outside the box. A lot of giving you know giving defenders, roughing up defenders, giving them a game. But there was a, that lack of that lack of lack lack of finishing. And then Ancelotti came in, and then it became this penalty box penalty box poacher. But you can't forget back then he had some absolutely brilliant talent around him. You know Rodriguez, uh, Richarlison, just to name two. Uh, but what I've seen of him since certainly this season, since he's come back after that Villa game, it looks the most complete Dominic Calvert Lewin I've seen. You know, seen from him for, for Everton. Uh, yeah, I think you're right, mate. I think Deitch has managed him absolutely brilliantly. Uh, you know, it, it took a lot of guts to keep him out of the side, certainly last season. 
it took a lot of guts after the Villa injury earlier this season not to not to rush him back. So if he felt and Dominic felt that he needed a weekend off uh, this weekend, so be it. Got to trust the manager on this one, and uh, you know, yeah, yeah, just hopefully he's all right for, for Thursday against Newcastle. Yeah, absolutely. Moving on then, Gav. Um, we are coming to the end of the pod, but we we will finish off with a couple of little tidbits. So Everton have been drawn against Premier League side Crystal Palace, third round of the FA Cup. Not the best draw, not the worst. We've obviously had a decent result against Crystal Palace away already this yeah. season. Just an initial reaction to that. We've had a lot of away draws, haven't we, in cup competitions <laughs> in in recent times? Is I mean, is that three on the spin? Away from home in the FA Cup, have you... I mean, very rarely play at home in the League Cup, do we? Mind you, we very rarely play in the, in the League Cup full stop, do we? <laughs> uh, to be honest with you, given our record. Um, yeah, I mean, rather sadly, and I, I, I actually remember our previous third round visit to Salish Park in the FA Cup, which was 51 years ago. And um, if, it, if it's as interesting and as, and as competitive as that was, because um, they have to get on the tannoy to, to tell the spectators and players to calm down, otherwise they'd stop the game. Um, it would be Chris will be Chris Chris will have his, uh, you know <laughs> more than his eight hundred words. We need more than that thing <laughs> to describe the action. But yeah, it, it's a, setting that aside. So it's that tough. It's all about controversy and. And Tommy Jones, I think, was the referee, had to be uh, driven out of the car and the uh, Crystal Palace chairman in the boot of his car um, <laughs> after the game. So it was uh, pretty brutal stuff. But yeah, it was a tough draw, didn't it? We could, could, could have done with a nice home draw, which, you know, which we've not really had a lot of in cup competitions, have we? Absolutely. And Chris, it's it's probably a bit of a rarity that Everton still find themselves in two cup competitions uh-huh. at this this stage of the year. So we've got a massive, massive game at Goodison Park under the lights against Fulham in the League Cup quarterfinal just before Christmas. If we are to be successful in that tie and win, progress to the semi-final, do you think Sean Dyche will then prioritise the League Cup over the, the FA Cup? I don't see Dyche being one of these managers who will sort of name a, a weakened team, as, as it were. Um, rotten draw, by the way. Um, certainly is, um, I mean, for, for all the speckies who went down there only on the 11th of November, um, going back down. I mean, you don't want an FA Cup third round. You don't want another Premier League team, full stop. So you don't want to go back to one who you only just played a few weeks ago. And, you know, furthest flung part of London as well, not not the easiest one to get to. So, on so many levels, it's a bad draw. I mean, personally, we'd have liked to have just gone somewhere maybe had not been to before. But um, in terms of um, his selection, I think um, there's um, there's no sort of New Year's game, is there? I don't think this year. Yeah, they go to Wolves on the 30th of December, and then they've got a week before this game, the week before another. I don't know where the potential Carabao Cup semi would fit in there but no uh, obviously the Carabao Cup kind of does take priority if, you, if you're through to the semi-finals or that but thankfully and I, I go along with Dyche on this one I can't he's not one of these managers you know obviously Frank Lampard made 11 changes for that Carabao Cup defeat at Bournemouth last season and that was the beginning of the end for Lampard but um, no I, I, um, I can understand what you mean that Carabao Cup takes priority if you get to the semis but I'd still imagine that regardless he'd, he'd name a pretty strong team for, for this Crystal Palace side. And like we said before, he just hasn't got that many options anyway. It's not like he can chuck half the team out anyway and have a sort of a side that's anywhere uh, the same sort of level. So, yeah, he might shuffle the pack a, a little bit, but I'd, I'd still imagine him to, to name a, a strong team. And, you know, why not go try and get to Wembley on, on two different fronts? I mean, people obviously say with a 10-point deduction, Premier League survival rightly takes priority now, but the Cups can sort of help you bounce along with, with stuff like that and keep the momentum up. Yeah, absolutely. Is there, is there a two-week break in January as well? Sorry, sorry, Ian. Is there, is there a two-week no, break for the Premier League in January? I think ours is after Villa, is on 14th of January. But yeah, yeah. For the so, final, it'll be around that time. Yeah, yeah I think uh, we'll obviously be looking forward to that, that that break. But, Paul, I mean, we're, we're sitting here now saying that it's not the best draw away from home, Crystal Palace. But, you know, if you actually look at the facts, our away form is, is one of the best in the league. We've already beat Crystal Palace away from home this season in what turned out to be an absolutely fantastic game, five-goal thriller. So they're probably saying the exact same thing, really. 
Oh yeah, it's not a, a nice draw for you know the supporters having to go all the way down there just after Christmas and New Year, and like as you say, it's another it's the time we've already been there. So, but yeah, if, if Sean Dykes decides to go strong, there's no reason why we can't go there and win. I think a big question will just be what our the state of our squad looks like at, at that stage after probably eight or nine games before then, haven't we? Before we get to that match uh, in terms of injuries, and I think it will be a, a key consideration for him if we are in the semi-finals because I'm pretty sure the first leg maybe after that game and then the second leg's later in January so even though I, I'm like Chris I'm, I I don't believe Sean Dice would probably ever do a Frank Lampard and make 11 changes uh, and I, I don't like that personally myself uh, managers doing that but I think if we had a semi-final around that that, that time and obviously we, we'll still be in a if unless anything changes with the points deduction we'll still be in a relegation fight at that time if we have to prioritise a cup semi-final I'd have to go along with that but yeah if we're not in the cup semi-final or if the squad's looking strong at that point why not go there go there and win because uh, we're seeing this season uh, with, with with the points deduction or not cup competitions it's a fantastic way of keeping the, the season going isn't it we've not, we've not done it enough in recent years so yeah if we're, if we're in a position to go strong that day let's go for it and sign get through to the fourth round yeah, absolutely. So Everton have started a mammoth month with a bang. Up next is Newcastle under the lights of Goodison Park. 7.30 kickoff. Um, we're going to finish off now, but stick with us this week for the schedule of shows from 12 to 1, live on the Royal Blue YouTube channel and the Echoes Everton FC Facebook page. Please remember to like, follow and share sub- and subscribe all of our content and uh, stick with us to the Echoes website and social channel for all the latest news and developments plenty more to come gav paul chris thanks for joining us we have gone nine minutes into injury time now so i do think that is probably time to the bone <laughs> final whistle on proceedings but guys thanks very much you've been listening to the royal blue podcast from the liverpool echo